Well, yes, today is Pentecost Sunday, and we're going to talk a lot about what that is, uh, what that means, and as we've mentioned, we're kicking off a series on uh, the Holy Spirit uh, for about 10 weeks for the summer, and we're going to be looking at all the promises of, of Pentecost and what that means. I appreciate the, the decorations uh, because, you know, Pentecost is a fulfillment of God's promises just like Easter is. And, you know, on Easter we decorate and we, we celebrate and we should, uh, but a lot of times Pentecost comes and goes and sometimes we don't even realize it. Uh, so to, to have the streamers, to have the decorations up, it's, it's a tangible, it's a, a concrete reminder uh, that Pentecost is a lot, gives us a lot to celebrate. And we're going to unpack that today. So Pentecost is a day where God fulfills his promise, many of his promises, and particularly that promise to pour out his Holy Spirit upon all believers. And the promise of the Holy Spirit is so life-changing, so eternity-changing, that it really is the key to Christian living. And yet, the Holy Spirit remains one of the most misunderstood persons of the Trinity, and also one of the most misunderstood persons in church, if the Holy Spirit even shows up. Oftentimes, because we don't understand the nature of the promise of the Holy Spirit, we either um, misapply the Spirit's power or we miss him altogether. And we don't want either of those options. And, we don't, and what we want is the promises of Pentecost in, to work in our lives. Because today we're going to embark on this series on the Holy Spirit because the Spirit is the key to walking in God's presence and His power and, and His purposes. So why? Why are we doing this sermon series? For a couple reasons. One, as I just mentioned, is because the Holy Spirit is often misunderstood and if yet, if the Holy Spirit is the key to us living out our Christian lives in the everyday, well, then that's not good if, we, if he's misunderstood or we just don't understand. He's kind of confusing, so we're just going to ignore him. Well, that's not, that's not good either. And so that's one of the reasons for this series. Uh, the other is that we say 2022 is a year of connection, right? We've talked about that. Well, what do we want to connect to? We say 2022 is going to be here to connecting to God, connecting to one another, connecting to the community. Well, how do we connect to God? Through the Holy Spirit. How do we connect to one another in a way that's greater than just ourselves? In other words, we have a love beyond ourselves, a patience beyond ourselves, a forgiveness beyond just our own ability? Through the Holy Spirit. And how do we connect to our community in a way where we're not just doing church and managing church. We're actually making an impact where people who don't know Jesus are coming to know Jesus. We do that through the Holy Spirit. So if 2022 is going to be a year of connection, it's got to be a year of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. Now, the other reason that we're doing this sermon series is, um, you know, I like to do sermon series, and I like to go through books of the Bible, and, but I was praying, um, 
in March, I think it was, I was like, Lord, what sermon series, you know, what's next? What does the church need? What do we need? And I, I had felt for some time that it was, you know, I probably should do a series on the Holy Spirit because of all these reasons that we had just said. And I, and I kind of had that feeling. And so I went on a walk. And as I was praying, I went to Whiting Street Reservoir in Holyoke. And I'd never been there before. And I was praying, Lord, it, do you really want me to do a series on the Holy Spirit? Is that what you're leading me to do? And, and I'm not being melodramatic, but this gigantic wind came and almost knocked me off my feet. <laughs> and, and so, and, and for those of you who are not quite sure, like, what, is, what does that have to do with stuff? The Holy Spirit, actually the Greek word and the Hebrew word, both ruach and pneuma, um, are words for the spirit or wind. And so I was like, all right, Lord, okay. Uh, that's the confirmation I was looking for. But then as I kept walking, I went, Lord, is it just a sermon series or, you know, do, is you know, should we have our growth groups kind of attached to that? Because we really need this topic. It can be divisive, but it shouldn't because the Spirit's a unifying force. So we need opportunities to talk deeper about it. So, Lord, is, should, should we do growth groups on that too? And as I was walking, I saw one waterfall. I was like, oh, because, you know, the Spirit is often associated with water. And then I saw a second waterfall. And then I saw a third waterfall. And that really confirmed that we, wouldn't, we need to also go deeper into this. And that's why we are having these growth groups. Again, there's one tonight under the pavilion that Kenny's leading. Uh, that's going to be the first and third. There's one at my house on Thursdays. And I encourage you to look deeper into these things. Um, because when we discuss them, a lot of times when we, we, we talk to someone else who's experienced the Holy Spirit in a particular way or they have particular questions, the best thing to do is really talk through these things uh, and help one another. Because as we'll see today, the promises of Pentecost isn't that, you know what, if you all just gather and there's a pope or there's a priest or a, a pastor who wears a pope hat, which I should go get that, um, you know, they're the ones who have the Holy Spirit, so just listen to them. <laughs> Not I, yeah, definitely. Um, but rather, the Holy Spirit, he, he is the promise for every believer, that's why Pentecost is a turning point in salvation history. And so we need one another in that the, the promises of Pentecost mean that it's not just priests, it's not just pastors who um, are, are, are um, conduits of God's spirit and, and um, gifted and all that. No, every believer. That's what the promise of Pentecost is all about. So we're going to cover a lot. Uh, this summer, I'm going to try to co cover a lot today, and because I want to unpack what does all of this mean? What, how do we apply the truths of Scripture to our hearts? So let's look at the first Pentecost. First Pentecost, it was the disciples, they, uh, 50 days earlier, they had for the first time met the risen Jesus, right? That was Easter Sunday, and they're amazed and, but Jesus, he doesn't just meet them once. He actually, over the next few weeks, he continues to meet with them and others and, and teaches them about all of the scriptures and how they all pointed to him. He also tells them to be ready, that just as the Father had sent him, now he is sending them, and that they will continue his mission, his mission to bring salvation 
the message of salvation through Christ's death and resurrection, that the resurrection that Christ experienced, that, that death to life, that's available to all of those who put their faith in him because Christ died for our sins and he rose from the dead, and that message is now to go throughout the earth. So Jesus commissions them, but he also says, but I want you to wait because I'm not sending you out on your own. Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm sending the Holy Spirit, so it's not just your power. My power is going to go with you. That's what Pentecost is about. So Jesus would ascend to the Father, and then he would send the Holy Spirit to them. So, as I mentioned, um, the after Jesus ascended, uh, then the disciples, they're praying fervently, and they're waiting and on Pentecost, Jerusalem was already crowded because Jews from all over the Roman Empire, they came to Jerusalem for a Jewish festival known as the Feast of Weeks, also called the Feast of First Fruits. So when the Holy Spirit falls upon the praying disciples, a crowd quickly gathers to investigate. And so let's look at that. This event is described in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 41. I'm like, whoa, that's a long scripture. Well, it's much better to listen to the scriptures than to listen to me. So let's pay attention here to what is going on. This is the first Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost arrived, the disciples were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Eliamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and, and Asia, Phrygia and, and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arab, um, Arabians. We hear them telling in our own language the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But at others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, saying, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And now Peter's quoting the Old Testament prophet of Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the end quote from Joel. 
And then Peter begins speaking uh, again from his, from his heart. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the def definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, and now Peter is quoting um, a psalm that King David wrote, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Then that's the end quote from Psalms. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and all of that we are all witnesses to. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, now he quotes Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Amen. So that is the first Pentecost. But it's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. Notice, what did Peter say? He says, that promise, yeah, it's for you, but it's also for your children, for those who are fall off, all those who God would call to himself. And notice this event, what happens. Well, first of all, there's this big noise. It's as if heaven is opening up and something like a wind. The Holy Spirit is pouring down out of heaven upon the place that the disciples gathered. And flames appear uh, uh, over each disciple, right? Now, I don't know if they were as large as these flames that were made. Um, maybe they were, but they appear before over each disciple. And then each one of these hicks from Galilee, they're fishermen, they're laborers. They don't know many languages. They probably just know their native tongue and maybe Greek for commerce a little bit. They start speaking in language they don't know. So some of them are speaking Egyptian dialects. Some of them are speaking, you know, Arabian dialects. And they're all proclaiming the mighty works of God 
which is a type of prophesy, prophecy. And so we've got wind. We've got flames. We've got the miraculous. We've got a theophany. So what's a theophany? A theophany is when God's presence manifests itself. And often, in, if you read in, in when God appears on top of Mount Sinai to give the law, it's, there, there's flames, there's storms. But notice here, there's not just this gigantic column of flame like in the Exodus. There's flames of fire over each person. Hmm, what could that mean? Then Peter's going to explain it because the people, they're astounded. They, there's already a crowd in Pentecost, at Pentecost because it was already a holiday. And so they, they, they run in because they, they hear this noise. They see these flames. They then hear these people praising God in all sorts of different languages. And they want to know what's going on. But Peter is going to say, this is proof. This is proof that the promise that you've been waiting for is being fulfilled. And notice he, he takes Scripture and he explains and he points to this Old Testament Scripture, Joel, in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. It says, and in the last days it shall be that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy your uh, your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on your male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And he's talking about the spirit being poured out onto all different kinds of people. Again, not just kings, not just prophets, special people, but on all of God's people. And that's why there's flames above each person to saying, yeah, God's presence is here. God's presence is in this person in fulfillment of this prophecy. So Peter, he's making sure, I want you to understand what's going on. Because they don't. It's kind of crazy what's going on, right? They're like, whoa. Peter says, all right, now that I've got your attention, let me tell you that this fulfills Scripture. And they would have known that because these were, these were um, devout Jews or proselytes, and they, they, had, they, had, they knew the Old Testament promises. They, in fact, were waiting for these Old Testament promises that said one day, in fact, in the last days, when God is bringing his restoration to the entire world, he's going to pour out his spirit on all people. And this is not only a prophecy from Joel, although that's the one that Peter happens to quote. Read Ezekiel. Read Jeremiah. Those prophets also say, I want you to know that there's a time coming where God is going to fill us with his spirit. He's going to change us from the inside out. And Peter is saying, yeah, all of that that we've been waiting for, that's being fulfilled. Now, what those gathered other than the disciples didn't know is not only was this fulfilling scripture, but it was fulfilling some of Jesus' promises to his disciples in particular. Because Jesus said, um, for instance, in John's gospel, John 14, 16 through 20, this was uh, the, the farewell discourse where Jesus, he's preparing his disciples because he knows he's going to depart the next day. Um, in John 14, he says, I will ask of the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. So Jesus, is he promised this. He's like, yes, I'm leaving. I'm going to be crucified. But don't think that's the end. Don't think that I'm leaving you. In fact, yes, I am leaving you, but I'm going to come back in the form and person of the Holy Spirit. And again, this gets into whole um, the wonderful truths about the Trinity. We'll talk more about that um, next week because I'm barely going to be able to finish this sermon, let alone talk about the Trinity. But it's a part of, no, Jesus is present in all the things that Jesus was to the disciples. He says, no, the Holy Spirit's going to do that for you as well. And it's going to be in you. But then also in Acts 1.8, if we right before Acts chapter 2, he tells the, the disciples, he says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So Pentecost, it's a fulfillment of God's promises from centuries earlier. But it's also a fulfillment of, God, of, of Jesus' promises to his disciples. That I'll be, still be with you. In fact, I'll be in you. <laughs> I'm, uh, God is doing a new thing that salvation history is taking this turn and what we have been waiting for because we've tried to follow God in our own power. Yes, he's given the law, but we always fail. And so first of all, we've got sins and, and Christ takes care of those. Uh, but then he inhabits us in his spirit so that we don't just have ourselves we have the Spirit of God working in us and through us to change us from the inside out. That was the promise they had been waiting for. But why? Why does this happen now? Why does God fulfill his, his promises now? Well, that's where Peter further explains in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 36, which I already read. But that this outpouring of the Holy Spirit is closely connected to Jesus' death and resurrection. That Jesus has overcome sin and death so that the promised reign of the eternal king of the line of David, which was another promise they were waiting for, was fulfilled in Jesus because he is the eternal king. Death couldn't hold him down. The promises that God made to this king that would one day rule for God, that he would not undergo corruption, right? Jesus fulfilled and being raised from the dead and that they expected that the last days, not only, uh, in the last days, not only would this Davidic king rule for eternity for God, but that, that restoration, that resurrection would come upon all flesh, that would come upon all people. And so that long expected day of the Lord when God would defeat sin and death, he would judge sin and death, he did that on the cross. So that those promises are being fulfilled in Jesus. And notice, I can't un unpack it too cl uh, closely, but read it again. Isn't, isn't that Peter's argument? He says, this Jesus, he died and rose again, and he's at the right hand of the Father. He fulfills all the promises of David, and now he is the one who has poured out, out God's Spirit. And so the day of the Lord... The last days when the day of the Lord happens, those day, that day that we're waiting for, it was fulfilled in Jesus. Notice, isn't that his argument? He says the day of the Lord is the day of Jesus. 
The spirit of the Lord would be given by the Lord in the last days. But now, who is given the spirit? It's Jesus. He's risen from the dead. He's poured out this spirit, which you see. He is the promised king. He's the one we've been waiting for. His death and resurrection fulfills all of these promises. And now, that promise of the poured out Holy Spirit, this Jesus, he has poured it out. Look at that argument. That, that's what, that what Peter lays out, his speech carefully. But then Peter brings it all together. So he says, the events, the wind, the fire, the prophecy, the scriptures, all point to the fact that this Jesus is Lord. He is the Lord. The day of the Lord is here. The last days are here. We've entered the last days. And when the Lord pours out his spirit, this then that spirit and salvation is to go throughout the world. Now notice the crowd's reaction. Did you, did you notice the crowd's reaction? They're pierced to the heart because they didn't see what God was doing. They, they, had no, they didn't see what God was doing. They didn't see that God was fulfilling all of his promises in Jesus. So not only did they ignore Jesus and his call to them, they actually, some of them participated in seeing Jesus crucified. And so they say, wait, what, brothers, what are we supposed to do? We've missed it. I see it. I see it all now. I see the scriptures. I see the miracles. I see the spirit poured out. And I've missed it. What can we do now? And that's when Peter he assures them that, yes, the promises have already been fulfilled, but it is not yet the last days. We, we are in the last days, but it's not the last day when God fully and finally brings that final restoration and does away with all sin. No, we're actually in the last days, but it's already the last days, but it's not yet the final day. So you can still receive the promises. That in fact, that's why God came in Christ. So that instead of coming and just having to wipe everybody out because everyone was full of sin, he comes, he dies for our sins so that we can receive the promises. So it's not too late. What does he say in verse 38? Peter says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. It's not yet done. It is, you know, Jesus finished it on the cross, but it's that, that full and final culmination, consummation of the days is not yet done, so you still have time. You still can receive these promises. And really, that's the first application for this scripture today, is that Jesus' death and resurrection, the pouring out of the Spirit of God, signal that God is fulfilling his promises, and his plan is culminating. But there are some here, there's some watching online, you are missing it. You know you're missing it. You've... you've been ignoring Jesus. You've been ignoring the things that he's been doing in your life, like those gathered at Pentecost. You're ignoring the gift of the Spirit that he's given to you. 
But Peter says, and I say to you, and God's saying to you now, no, it's not too late. Yeah, you may have been missing it, but now is the day. So trust in Jesus. Repent. That means whatever you're doing, turn to God. Turn in his direction and be baptized into the name of Jesus. What does that mean to be baptized into the name? The name is someone's reputation. It's all of their work. You're saying, yes, I may have missed that Jesus was Lord of lords and King of kings and that he is fulfilling all God's promises, but I now place my faith in that truth. And when you place your faith in that truth, you receive all the promises and all the fulfillments that come with those promises. So if you're here today and you know that that's you and the Spirit's working in your heart and you know you're you're feeling like one of those people on Pentecost that says, what shall I do? The answer is repent and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be baptized into his name and you will receive all of the promises of eternal life. You will receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. But the second application, and I know this is a lot of us, We've repented. We've believed in the name of Jesus Christ. We've been baptized into his name. But we're not walking in all the promises. We're not walking in the promises of the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's like winning the lottery. You shouldn't play the lottery, but let's just say you did. And you've got that winning ticket for for millions of dollars and you never go and cash that thing? Why in the world would you do that? That's what many of us are doing when it comes to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. promise of Pentecost. And, and, And even when I say that, I appreciate what Chrissy prayed. A lot of us are getting a little bit nervous, right? Well, what does that mean? What does that mean to step into the gift of the Holy Spirit? Am I going to fall on the ground and flop around like a fish or some crazy Pentecostal thing? One of the reasons for this series is that we need to understand the promises of Pentecost and what it means. And it really can be summarized. The promise is already and not yet. So say it with me, already, not yet. Yes, already, not yet. And the problem is, is that sometimes we go too far on one side or the other, and many traditions go on one side or the other, and really we want a biblical view of this already, not yet tension in the promises of Pentecost. So in Pentecost, Peter, one of his main points is, no, these promises are already fulfilled. The Spirit is poured out already. Look, here's the, here, you know, here's the miraculous signs. Here's the, 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 the flames and all of that. So these promises are already fulfilled in Jesus. So that the Spirit... is available and active, just as Jesus promised, already. Now, many of us, especially from a Baptist tradition, and if you grew up in certain um, cessationist church like I did, or not grow up, but became a Christian, then you're like, yeah, well, that's, you know, we ignore that part. We ignore the already part. And in so doing, we ignore the power of Christ. We ignore the, the, the beauty of, 
of the presence of God. R.T. Kendall asked this question. It's very convicting to me. He says, if, if the Holy Spirit were to leave our church, would just leave Second Baptist Church, how much of a difference would that make in our programs and in what we do? Meaning, if we did, would we notice a difference? I mean, I could continue to manage the church. We could continue to have some programs. Would it change? Would our church change if the Holy Spirit left? And if the, if the answer is, well, not really, we could still pull this off, it would still look largely the same, then we're not living in the already truths of the Spirit. And that, that should convict us. That should, we, we should be doing things that when people say, oh, it's not, oh, you know, Pastor Joe, he's a good speaker, and oh, they have some good organizational things, some, some good service ministries. It should be, man, something is going on there that can only be explained because God is present. Because the spirit, that promise is already, we already have that promise. And we're going to look at throughout the, this, this series, well, what does that mean? What is, you know, all the promises, what does that look like? We're going we're gonna to unpack that. But now on the other side, there's, it's already, and again, I think that's the area we're weakest in here at Second Baptist Church, but then there's the other part of, but it's also not yet. Already, not yet. Sometimes certain traditions ignore the not yet. This is, I think, big issue for, for Pentecostal or Pentecostal brothers and sisters, is they make it all already and ignore, well, no, there's a part of it that's not yet. And we get this when we, we hear certain preachers like, God wants to heal every one of your sicknesses. And if you're sick, you just have to have more faith because God has healed all your diseases. He wants to heal everything right now. See, that ignores that. No, there's a not yet part to it. That we're still in this world. And thank God that God hasn't fully closed things because he, when Peter says, be saved from this perverse generation, he's saying, no, there's still time. That God hasn't fully done away with all sin. He hasn't fully taken away all suffering. He will, but not yet. Not yet. And then oftentimes we give that, that people the impression that, you know, well, why does the Bible, you know, that he, yes, he will heal every disease. He will in heaven. But we get this idea that, oh, no, if we, we have to make things into a formula. That, wait, God says he will heal. God says he will bring prosperity. So, therefore, you know, he must at every time that I ask. But no, there's a not yet part to it. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 9 and 10 says this. And this is the Apostle Paul talking. This is the love chapter, but it's also the part where the Apostle Paul's talking about spiritual gifts and the use of them. He says, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So here's the Apostle Paul acknowledging that, okay, it's not, it, there's a not yet part to it. Yes, we already, we already have part. We already have the promises, but not fully. 
So we need to understand that the promises of Pentecost are both already and not yet. And again, this is one of the things I, I see in the in Pentecostal movement is, is often things that are true ha- turn into sort of this formula of no every single time. I was reading a book, uh, a good book about dreams that uh, someone gave to me. It was a great book. Lots of good things about all right, God often speaks in dreams and visions and stuff. It's very biblical. But what was a truth pushed a little bit further than I was comfortable with because I was like, no, and then every time, every night, every dream, God's going to talk to you. Well, I don't know. It's not yet, you know, that yes, he can, and yes, he will, and we should seek that. But there's also this turning something into a formula because we are in relationship with a person, not a power. You, you understand the difference is that oftentimes when we think of the Holy Spirit, we think of, ah, oh, power. No, no, he's a person. And if we need to understand, if we're in relationship with a person and this person is God, then it's about what God wants. And if he wants to pour down power upon us to do things that we can't do in our own power, hallelujah. But if in his sovereignty he says, no, I want you to persevere right now. I want you to have patience and perseverance so I'm not going to remove this on this side of heaven, then hallelujah. That is God. We are in relationship to a person, not a power. And so that's why the purpose and promise of God, we have to understand, is his relationship to God. And it's not about, and again, this, this is a temptation for me. It's like, yeah, God, I want you to work in our church. I want you to do miracles. I want you to heal people. I want people to be saved in an, an amazing way. And then oftentimes the Spirit will whisper to me, well, why? Why do you want that? Do you want it because it'd be a great experience? Because it would Increase your ministry? Then no. No. But if you're hungry for me, if you're hungry for the presence of God, if you want more of me, I'll give that to you. You see, that is the important difference. We're relating to a person. And so, Trust me, as we go through this series, it's really going to be about we want more of you, God. We want more of your power and your plan, but it's all about you. It's not about, oh, I'd love to experience this gift or that gift or that gift. Yeah, I would, but only if it's God manifesting himself in a way that we experience him more. You see that important difference? Already, not yet. Say it with me. Already, not yet. This, we're going to carry that theme throughout our series. So now as we move to this time of communion, and I apologize for going late, but see, this is the thing, is I can, I can uh, blame it on the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> and we'll talk about, too, like, you know, that's where oftentimes we will, uh, you know, well, folks will, uh, anyways, let's just, uh, I'll save that for the next sermon. <laughs> but right now I want us to go to this time of communion, the time of the Lord's Supper, 
And again, it's so appropriate that we do this. We observe the Lord's Supper because what was one of Peter's main points at Pentecost? He's like, this promise is all because Jesus died for your sins and he rose from the dead, right? And so when we take the Lord's Supper, what are we doing? We're remembering Christ's broken body and his shed blood, that he is the one who we had been waiting for. He's the fulfillment of all these promises. And so, yeah, we begin our time of the Lord's Supper remembering Jesus' death and his resurrection as Peter did and that this whole sermon series, this whole talk about the Holy Spirit, it's all possible because Jesus shed his blood on the cross. So the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, take, eat, this is my body. Do it in remembrance of me. Take and eat the bread. And then we read that after he took the bread, he took the cup. And he says, this cup is the blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take, drink, in remembrance of me. We take and drink the cup in remembrance of Christ's shed blood. Lord Jesus, we've taken the bread and the cup in remembrance of your broken body and your shed blood. And Lord, I pray that any here today or watching online, Lord, that they know that they've missed it, they've missed your fulfillments, that they would trust in you, be baptized in your name. Lord, they'd take the cup and bread as, as a true remembrance. But Lord, for all of us, we pray that we would be we would be open to your spirit. Lord, we pray that we would hold that already not yet tension so that we would step forward boldly and asking that you would fill us to overflowing, that we would have all of you and more of you and, and, and we would, Lord, open up that gift. But Lord, that we would realize it's about a relationship with you. We would not use you for other things. We just want you for who you are. So, Lord, work in this time. Convict our hearts. Open our hearts to all that you have. In Jesus' name, amen.